All right, can y'all hear me? Before I begin, <laughs> before I begin, I want to read out of Psalm 119. I believe these two verses sum up uh, my life. Verses 71 and 72. He says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And I love that verse because it's pretty unbelievable to think if you're not a Christian and you look at a suffering Christian who is actually glad that they were afflicted, that just can't make any sense. But that is what shows the world how valuable Jesus is. And tonight I'm going to give you my testimony and I'm going to testify to how valuable Jesus is because um, there are plenty of people who've been afflicted more than I, but I've, I've been afflicted a lot. And I didn't always praise Jesus when I was suffering, but I, but I can now. I told somebody the other day, I said, man, I, I want to be like Paul where I can just glory in the suffering, in the midst of the suffering. So far, I'm, I'm good in hindsight. Um, but I can look back now and see God's grace. Um, and so I want my testimony this evening to be what a testimony should be, and that's I want to testify to Jesus. I'm not just going to tell you my story. Jesus is going to be in the story. And hopefully I'll make much of Jesus tonight. I'll start with my name. I'm Audie Tyler Todd. That doesn't mean anything to you. I'm like, hey, hey, hey. Um, I'm the third Abby. So if I go home, I'm little Obby. My dad is like 5'8". For some reason, I'm little Obby. I don't know why. But dad, granddad was the first Obby. Granddad was born Oswald Udale Todd. And then he went, his, he grew up, his nickname was Obby. He went overseas, fought in Japan, came home, and turned, changed his name to Obby. And um, apparently he couldn't figure out a better name to name his son, so he named his third son Abby, and then I got named Abby. Uh, my grandma was really disappointed that I didn't name Roman Abby. I said, Grandma, it's really hard name. Everyone gets it confused. I'm, no. She's like, no, really? It's like, Grandma, you've never left Henderson ever. Like, everyone knows Abby. You don't, you've never moved anywhere else. So, anyway, um, my granddad is gone, so there's two Abbies now. Uh, football was a big part of my family. My granddad was the first head football coach at Henderson County High School. He told everybody that. Um, he was in the Henderson County Hall of Fame. Uh, he played football for Murray. Um, Dad played in college. Dad never liked Frank Beamer because Frank Beamer used to be at Murray, and he didn't recruit Dad. Um, Dad went to a little Baptist college called Gardner-Webb College University now, if anybody's ever heard of that. It's in North Carolina. And dad, granddad was a running back. Dad was a running back. Dad said, dad always said he was like the only white guy on the team. He, um, my dad was very fast. He was the football coach at my high school. He was the wrestling coach. He was the swim coach. One time they signed him up for basketball. Dad never even played basketball in his life. He just he coached him. Um, 
In college, that's where Dad met my mom, Lisa Sean Gay. Um, Dad went there because he was on football scholarship. Mom went there because my granddad was a Southern Baptist pastor and wouldn't let her go anywhere that wasn't Baptist. They got married. They moved back to Kentucky. Granddad was so mad. Granddad did not approve of Dad. Dad was not a believer. Um, that he was so angry with my mom that um, my granddad did not speak to my mom. We didn't, didn't, didn't have anything to do. didn't come to Kentucky for like two or three years. Uh, they eventually got pregnant with me, and that's when, I guess, my grandparents finally came to Kentucky. I have one brother, Grant Taylor Todd. He's 17 months younger than I am. He's never been here before, at least to this church. Uh, Grant has outdone me in virtually everything I've ever done. Um, I was I was honor graduate. Grant was valedictorian. I went to the University of Kentucky on a full ride scholarship that'll come in later. Grant went to Yale. I, I came home and lived with my parents for a little while. Grant went to Afghanistan. He was the head of his unit in the infantry. He came back with a bronze star. Um, I was like a C student in college. My brother was the president of his fraternity, and my brother joined a secret society known as the Skull and Bones, if you've ever heard of that. Um, he got his MBA at Vandy, and now Grant lives in Birmingham and has a very good job. I would say that my brother and I lived an all-American life, but we didn't. Um, when I was six and my brother was four, my mom died of ovarian cancer. 1992 was a tough year for our family because while mom was in Louisville receiving treatment, I was playing kickball out in our yard and I went out in the middle of the street and got hit by a car and shattered my leg. And my grandma took care of me in the hospital while dad took care of mom. And at the age of six, you know, you're old enough to have memories but you're not old enough to really understand things. And, uh, you know, I didn't really understand why mom wasn't around. Um, why dad wasn't there with me in the hospital. I had a pin through my leg for six weeks. And the doctor, Dr. Polio, said I would never walk the same again. In many ways, the death of my mom was the first time I started asking questions about death and eternity and hell and heaven. Um, basic questions. Some people don't even really ask themselves ever in their lives. And I was six years old and kind of going, you know, where's is mom going to die? Uh, and then when mom died, asking dad, you know, where's mom? That was my first introduction to the gospel. My, my dad, who some of y'all met, is a very, very... Um, I got my talking from Dad. Somehow I've never preached and people have been like, man, you're just like your dad. They're always... I'll put it another way. There's never been a preacher whose last name was Todd. I'll say that. Um, and I'll tell you this. I didn't really think well of Southern Baptists for a long time. I never saw my granddad wear anything but a suit and tie until I was like 21. And I just thought Southern Baptists were just... Uh, I thought they were a bunch of fuddy-duddies. I'll be honest with you. 
you, I hope by the end of this you really get the irony that I'm a Southern Baptist because I just didn't think very well of Southern Baptists. I grew up in a non-denominational church. At a very early age, and I, and I, without really knowing it, I remember submitting to the, to the full sovereignty of God and taking mom away. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but I, 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 I pretty much had to believe that, that God was a big God. Because the only answer I really ever got was, God took mom. God is God. And though it hurt a lot at the time, I appreciate it now because I, my little heart couldn't look, any, couldn't look past that. All I had was God took mom. Mom played the piano for our church. She taught Sunday school and her life was celebrated by very many people. She was a music teacher. But after mom died, dad did a good job raising us, but dad didn't go to church. And so we didn't go to church. By the grace of God, a couple years later, Dad got remarried to a, a woman named Trisha. <laughs> and she didn't look anything like us. She was blonde. She was a little pretentious. She had never had kids in her life. She treated her dog like it was a kid. And suddenly, I'm eight years old and we got a woman living in our house. And I'm like, I mean, has anybody ever had that, anything like that? Okay. Like, eight years old. I, like, I'm in my underwear, and that woman's now sleeping with my dad, and I'm like, let's get one thing straight. You are not my mom. <laughs> um, she was a good woman. took me a while to see that. Um, she played piano, and she was really devoted to the church, so dad went to church, and we started going to church again um, at Owensboro Christian Church. And I think in many ways, looking back, I think my life, and I don't know if y'all is like this too, but my life is really the fruit of strong women doing what men really should have been the one doing. I don't know if any of y'all like that. My dad was not the spiritual leader in our home. Mom became the leader, spiritually. But we had some epic battles in the Todd house. You know, the, the, the words, you're not my real mom, I'm sure just, I mean, I can't even probably count how many times I screamed that at her. Um, you can't tell me what to do. Dad, I'm, she's not my real mom. Dad be like, you know. My dad never hit me. Dad never spanked. Dad was a coach. Dad had, you'll, you'll meet him. Um, Dad has a booming voice. And I always thought <laughs> that time was going to be the time. Dad scared me to death growing up. Like, Dad could just yell, and I would, you know. Still to this day, like, he'll yell in the middle of a crowd, and I'm like, my goodness. <laughs> my wife says I got that. I don't really like that, but. One thing that astonishes me today is, you know, I didn't realize looking back, but my brother and I shared the same room until we were about high school. And we had one picture between our beds, and it was a picture of my mom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My real mom. Mm -hmm. 
And one thing I didn't realize till just a couple years ago was Trish, who I call mom now, she never took it down. She kissed us goodnight every night and never asked to replace our mom. And wouldn't you know it, she earned the title of mom. I just, I, people come sometimes, if people don't know any better, they'll be like, hey, I met your stepmom. I don't even, I don't like that. Mm. You're like, whoa, whoa, she's my mom. Mm. Because she loved me like I came from her own womb, even when I would yell and scream at her. And I think God was preparing me for something. God was preparing me to look and see what it was like for someone who didn't have kids biologically to raise kids just like they were their own. I didn't see that at the time. The grace of God sustained our family, and, and I wasn't even aware of most of it. Dad could have married a woman who didn't give two cents about me. Dad could have married a woman who had her own kids. I've seen that happen a lot of times where they treat them different. She never had kids of her own. She, we were her kids. We could have fought. I could have tried to leave the house when I was 18. That didn't happen. Years, years. God's grace was there. And then I had another horrific injury. I was playing around on a trampoline when I was nine. Um, this story sounds so redneckish in Kentucky. <laughs> We were playing on the trampoline, but we were actually jumping off the treehouse onto the trampoline with no pads. And so I just jumped, you know, like we were doing. And, you know, we were basically catapulting ourselves and just, you know, well, I just and came down and my neck went right on the bar and I snapped my vertebrae. I had it back there. I had to. Put a, though they had my neurologist had to put a titanium rod in my neck. And first thing that was gone was football. New. No. Started having seizures. I take a pill every day that reminds me that I'm an epileptic. If I don't have that pill, I am not a functioning member of society. Hmm. I was just reading the other day when Jesus healed the epileptic. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was me. I mean, if I didn't live it, if I lived then, that was me. <laughs> By the grace of God, I'm in 2018 and I have a pill. I'm like that guy. <laughs> I read about Paul with his thorn. Never says what the thorn is. The point is not what it was. The point is that it kept him from pride. It constantly reminded him that he was weak and he was in need of God's grace. That pill is my thorn. I am an invalid unless I have modern medicine. And I don't know if any of you all take pills like that, but a pill can be a very emasculating thing. And it is to me. And I thank God for that. Other thing that was out was military. Couldn't do that. All three of my cousins joined. My brother joined. My uncle, I wanted to join. That'll come in later. My life was changed. I couldn't see it at the time, but God was already molding me. 
taking things from me. I had, I had an intern in Baton Rouge. I, I had four interns in the three years that I was there in youth pastor. I, I remember I had one kid one time. I didn't tell him. My, I didn't, these kids, I never really told them a lot of my testimony, probably because I couldn't. And I remember one kid goes, hey, I want to be like, you know, I, he was kind of making fun of another pastor. I mean, I want to be like you. And I'm like, what do you mean be like me? He's like, well, you know, I want to go to, you know, I want to go, um, you know, I kind of already know I want to be a pastor. And I'm like, Like, I know, but you, you knew you wanted to study theology. I was like, oh, I didn't. I was like, well, I mean, you, you kind of always knew you were going to go to some. No! I thought, I thought if you'd have told me that I was going to be, a, especially a youth pastor, holy cow. My youth pastor was like the guy I felt sorry for. <laughs> That's right. I mean, God was already laying a path down. It took a while. That was really one of the first to humble me was snapping my neck. I gave my life to Christ when I was baptized. I, or I gave my life to Christ when I was baptized when I was 11 years old at, at Owensboro Christian Church. My youth pastor preached on faith and I repented of my sins and I believed in Jesus. I've told people, as a matter of fact, I told some, told some folks at my interview this job, they wanted to know when I was saved. And I told them I thought it was then, but... Once y'all hear the rest of this testimony, you can see why I went, I don't know. I was then discipled by a local lawyer in town named Brad, who taught me the Bible first time. And uh, he was a hard guy. I didn't always like him. That's what I needed. And him being a lawyer will come in later. I was captain of the cross-country team. I played varsity basketball. I ran track. I was a senior class president, and I had the, a full-ride scholarship in the U.K., and I was pre-dental. I thought I was going to get some laughs there, but that's fine. I wanted to be a dentist. That's what I wanted to do. I came back after my first year, and I had lost my scholarship. My dad would tell you, if he were here right now, he would say I, I was majoring in fraternity, is what he likes to tell his friends. And I remember I came home that summer, and I was just hanging out with the wrong people, just doing stupid stuff. They didn't go to Lexington. It's like going to Athens and coming back and hanging out with the guys that ain't in Athens and ain't doing nothing they better than they were in high school. And so uh, we got bored. Good stories don't start out like that, but we were bored. And uh, anybody ever heard of the works bomb? Just, you put Drano in a two liter and you shake it up and you put aluminum foil and just chuck it. That was the big thing that summer. Well, we just made a big one. And we decided to throw it in our friends, her name was Rebecca, she's now a lawyer, ironically, um, just, we decided just to be funny if we just chucked it in her yard and ran away. Well, we, we just put a lot of Drano in there and we put a lot of aluminum foil and we threw it and we're running and it, the, the ground shakes. And I look back and there's smoke everywhere. Wow, how much did you put in there? He's like, just keep running. 
my co my half cousin Derek and some other guys. And so it's a small town. We hear police sirens everywhere. And Derek's like, man, we need to drive by and see if she's okay. So, you know, we blew a big old crater in her yard. So we're driving by. There are cops everywhere. One thing I didn't mention, Becca's dad was the circuit judge in town. And I didn't even know we had a bomb, bomb squad in Owensboro, but we did, apparently. And they were there. And I kid you not, the next day, I'm waking up and Dad's watching, Dad's drinking coffee and watching NBC 14 News. He goes, Avi! Yeah! He goes, can you believe some idiot bombed Matt Griffin's yard? <laughs> I said, that's wild. He's like, it's right here on the news. And they just launched this investigation because apparently the judge put some people away and he, they thought people were trying to get back at the judge. And I'm like, holy crap! And he's like, my dad, I remember, I remember dad just kind of sitting in his car, he goes, somebody's going to jail. <laughs> and I went, hey. And I uh, said, Dad, that was me, and Austin, and Andrew, and Derek. Dad's first was like, what in the world are you hanging out with Austin Henniger for? I'm like, oh. <laughs> the summer, I'm bored. <laughs> so, back to my, the man who discipled me. Haven't seen him in a while, so, hey Brad! Hey, Avi, how you doing, man? No, I'm doing good, man. Well, I'm not really doing good. Um, I need to talk. Okay. I remember Brad goes, well, you got to turn yourself in. I said, I don't know, Brad, but I, I, you know, it was a joke. I'm not, it had nothing to do with Mac. He's like, I know. I said, Mac, Mac, I know Mac. Like, I grew up with, with Becca. It's fine. He's like, I know, but this is like the state now. I'm like, well, but Mac can say I, it's fine. And they're like, nah, I don't know. He's like, but you need to go in and confess. I said, all right. So I remember they got us four in there and it's like the TV show you know when they they kind of they kind of obviously do it up in the TV but it's kind of true they get you in a little room they split all four of us up and they picked us apart and i could hear austin crying in the other room it was dark and he was like he threw the pen on things like go ahead and write it down like write what down he's like write your statement like a statement <laughs> Son, it's not looking good for you. I was like, and I end up crying like a baby. <laughs> and I remember walking out, and Dad had told them, Dad had known that they would not press charges and told them to throw me in there anyway, to, to beat it out of me and make me cry. <laughs> and I remember just thinking that I got off, that I was lucky, you know. 
I went back to college. I lost my scholarship. I got terrible grades. I was in a relationship with the Lord that was not honoring to God. I was developing an addiction to pornography in college. I was a terrible friend. I was a terrible student. And I was a terrible person. At that time in my life, I was trying to find myself. I didn't have any purpose. I, I was in a fraternity. I wasn't paying dues. I had a mounting debt there. I had a job. at a. I ended up working at uh, Texas Roadhouse uh, as a waiter there. It was actually a really good job. Some friends of mine had, had gone on a mission trip to Africa. And I saw pictures of them, you know, they went like somewhere, I mean, they were like Sudan or somewhere, somewhere, someplace that was just nuts. And I was like, I didn't know Jesus. I didn't know the gospel, but I just wanted my life to count. And I saw them doing stuff like that, and I was like, I want to do that. So on the last week of college, I broke up with my girlfriend, I graduated from college, I quit my job, and I moved home in the same day. A month later, I got on a plane, never left America, and I got on a plane and went to uh, Africa for five and a half months to Kampala, Uganda, to be a part of a church plant and help out in the slums of Uganda, in Kampala. And I got back, and I went to... Uh, I just had, God, God had given me the taste of what it was like to, to live for something other than yourself. And I remember finding out a buddy of mine was a missionary in Kathmandu, Nepal. So I said, you know, I don't have anything else to do. Don't have a girlfriend, don't have a job. So I went and lived in the Himalayan mountains for six months and helped him and evangelized. It was the first time in my life I ever started reading the Bible. It was the first time in my life I'd ever started sharing the gospel. I was the biggest hypocrite there was. <laughs> they didn't know me back then, back home. Yeah. <laughs> and I got home and I, I went to Peru for two months. I lived on the Amazon River. It was during this time that God was shaping my heart. And the more I read, I had this hunger for God's Word. The more I read, I realized my hypocrisy. I was convicted of my sin. God broke me of my pornography addiction. There are no computers in Africa. It's, it's funny now, but I mean, I'm serious. That's how that, I never looked at another pornographic image ever. I started seeing the glory of Jesus. I started falling on my knees. I came back home and I told my parents, I don't want to be a dentist, I want to go to seminary. And my family was like, cool. My dad was like, you want to be a Catholic? <laughs> you get that a lot, by the way, if you go to seminary. Um, granddad, till the day he died, he was convinced I was going to be a dentist. You know, in Africa, I found out that I wanted to be a Baptist and that I was theologically, doctrinally a Baptist. It wasn't really about... See, I didn't grow up with that, I'm a Baptist because I was raised a Baptist. That, that wasn't me. I, I, wasn't, I didn't have the pedigree. See, what got me to be a Baptist was, turns out overseas, most of the missionaries are Baptist. At least the ones that I hung out with. And I remember what got me interested in theology was looking at people who left everything to live 
in those places and going, whatever they believe, it was enough to take them here. Tell me what you believe. And it, as time grew on, the people that I was hanging out with, who I saw serving and evangelizing, they were Baptists. And so I started looking at them, you know, I think I'm Baptist. I don't think I've ever really been that kind of Baptist or bust kind of guy. But it started with missions. It started with, okay, if you really believe that, if, I'm going to respect the person that doesn't just have the theology, but whose theology compels them to actually live out what they believe. And I saw that in the third world. I came home, started seminary, and I went on a blind date with a girl named Kelly Beth Cruz. And in my small town, you know, you grow up in a small town, you know all the fish in the pond. And she wasn't in the pond. I was like, I, I, I know the pond. This one must have jumped in here because she's not from around here. And she wasn't. She moved in temporarily to help her aunt, or sorry, help her sister raise uh, her kids. And I was, I was working at the local ragu factory. Everybody laughs when I say that. You gotta, you gotta get spaghetti sauce from somewhere. I was working the red line. Um, I'd come off a 10 hour shift and she got dressed up and all dolled up with Panera Bread. Panera Bread's where all the Christian y people hang out in my hometown, by the way. I think that's what happens to Conyers, except Conyers, everything sucks anyway. <coughs> anyway. Um, here we go. All right. On that note, though, I love Conyers. No hating on Conyers. But Conyers just, it's the only Conyers, it's the only town I know that's ruined Panera. Nah, it's the only... <laughs> <laughs> she, so I get in there, and she's all dolled up. I guess I didn't, I, I walked in there with my steel toes, and I was reeking of, like, marinara. And I was like, and I saw her, and I was like, my goodness, she's gorgeous. And I remember she, like, looked at, like, okay, didn't, didn't even want to get dressed up. All right. <laughs> And the first time that we met, we had a three-hour dinner. And I remember she looked me in the eye and she goes, I just want you to know. Okay, first, before I tell you what she said, I had a problem with relationships. And the reason is my sin. But a lot of the reason was, you know, when you lose a parent at a young age, you learn how to build walls. And I was raised in a very masculine home, and I was raised in some sense to think that relationships and, and needing a woman makes you weak. And so I didn't know in how in the world to love a woman. Um, the college relationship that I was in was horrible. And part of the reason is, I just don't want to lose someone else. It's hard to lose someone you love. And cancer was a very deep wound for me. And there, on that first date, the, all I knew was this girl is gorgeous and she loves Jesus. Where in the world did you come from? And she says, in the first hour, she goes, I just need you to know, for what, you know, this goes anywhere. I just want you to know I've had cancer twice and doctors say that I'll probably have cancer again. And I went, 
Check, please. <laughs> when she was real little, Kelly was born with a tumor wrapped around her spine, a neuroblastoma. That's why Kelly has a cut all the way across her. And then when she, a, a year before I met her, she had open-heart surgery because she had a tumor around her aortic valve. Doctors at MD Anderson believe that my wife is genetically dispositioned to create tumors. And I remember her going, look, I just need you to know this is who I am. And I remember during the date, I was like looking, she was wearing kind of a shirt, and I was like, I thought she, maybe she thought I was looking at her cleavage, but I was like, there's a, something on your, she's like, yeah, I just had open heart surgery. I'm like, whoa. Which, of course, sent off red flags, having lost a mom to cancer. I, I, I built up so many serious walls around my heart. Now God shows me a beautiful woman who I'm like, my goodness. And yet, I almost don't want to touch her now. God had destined me to fall in love with someone who I always had to get, be ready to give back to Him. Remember, I was living with my parents at the time. I remember coming home. Dad goes, "Hey, how was it?" Good. What? What's wrong? I said. I told him. Dad said. Can you, can you marry a woman? That's gonna. That's going to die of cancer. I said, I think so. And well, one year later, she got cancer again. Ewing sarcoma. I mean, my wife's like a little tumor maker. She's. <laughs> And she tried to break up with me. <laughs> and I said, no. God had put it. <sighs> I really thought she was going to die. And I was angry. It takes a lot to, uh, it takes a lot to uh, make me cry. But I remember when I was six going in, well, it's just tied up in tubes. She, most of her, her lady parts were plastic. And then I remember at Vanderhoff, Vanderbilt, Kelly was just, just like mom. And um, God was preparing me then. And we got married because she survived and God spared Kelly. I wish I could say that was the end of the story because it's not. My, I had gotten off my medicine. I had gone, gone without seizures for a while. And they came back 
and I had a, it was, I was in a snowstorm, and I was driving to Ragu, and I had a seizure, and you know those big metal light poles next to like overpasses? Right. Like the lights? I went into one of those, and it collapsed onto the interstate. And I was coming to, and a guy came in and opened the door and was like, waking me up. It's like, yeah, there's a snowstorm. He's like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And I look over, and there's like a mile of traffic and police cars coming up. And I, after you have a seizure, you're not thinking a lot. I just got up and drove to work. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember at Ragu, they, they called me, and they're like, hey, Abby, there's some police officers uh, want to speak to you. I'm like, what? And I went over, and the two cops, they're like, hey, uh, are you Abby Todd? Yeah. Are you the one that uh, destroyed that light on the bypass? Yeah. I think so. Son, you know, leaving scene of crime is illegal. And I went, oh, man, I wasn't thinking. He's like, apparently you weren't. But see, they, they, it was registered my dad's name, who's also Abby Todd. So they went to Apollo High School and got dad, and like, Son, you're, you're gonna, they're trying to arrest dad. <laughs> um, and during that time, Kelly's a nurse. So there's another emasculating thing, is I've got a, I, you know, in the state of Kentucky, if you have a wreck, you can't drive for three months. I had to have Kelly drive me to work. So during that time, I got my license back, was driving, my truck was getting fixed, was driving an Enterprise rental car, had another seizure, was on an interstate, went into a ditch, dr kept driving. Just so you know, if you get a rental car, if you get the insurance, you can literally just walk up and give them the keys and go, see ya. <laughs> just a month before our wedding, I, I got fired from my job. Uh, I moved to Louisville and became a refrigerator salesman. I got fired because I was a refrigerator salesman. I didn't know anything about refrigerators. It took them three months. They could figure it out. They're like, oh, they fired me on a Friday. Then I got a job at Sprint. Kelly was working the local, lock, uh, local Fox affiliate. I hated my job. She hated her job. I was working night shifts. I'd come in, cold plate, Kelly be asleep. We had such a hard time our first year. We've, my, Kelly uh, convinced me to do uh, marrow counseling. And uh, the first night, I won't go into it much, but the, the, after the first session, the counselor looked at Kelly and I, and he goes, you all are the perfect storm. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know counselor talk, but that's not good. <laughs> and he goes, well, you both have mommy issues. Now I Gee, thanks, Doc. Tell me what you really feel. He said, well, Kelly, growing up with cancer her whole life, and she's attached to the hip to her mom, and you've got mommy issues because you never had a mommy, and you got walls so high she can't come in. So she's mostly needy, and you are so cut off. And then this guy was also a pastor, and I'll never forget it. He goes, Abby, you're going to seminary to learn how to lead a church. You can't even lead your own wife. Two weeks later after that, Kelly got pregnant, which let me tell you, it was supposed to be medically impossible for her to get pregnant. Two weeks after that, she miscarried. 
I got my first job as a pastor. It was horrible. There was a reason I got it so quickly. Nobody wanted it. It was out in the middle of nowhere in Kentucky. Yeah. I had to fire, I fire. I had to dismiss our elder. Found out two months after I got there, he, he was domestic abuse. He was beating up on his wife. Mm. That was my introduction to church, pastoral ministry. One thing after another. It was so hard. I mean, I remember one night just living in a parsonage, which sucked. And I was like, God, just give me a break. The ministry's hard. Cancer's hard. Can't get pregnant. We're fighting all the time. It just... I was, I was so tired. And I was... 26. And I can't, and it's not like I grew up in a in a household where my you know my dad's like a pastor. So I didn't I didn't I didn't grow up with pastor friends. I was other than seminary, I remember I called Herschel York at Southern one time. He goes, Boy, you're getting the greenwash job. Like, Man, thanks, Dr. York. Appreciate that. <laughs> we always knew Kelly and I were both had a high view of God. We knew God was doing something good. But we've, there's a difference between believing God is sovereign and then just believing that fate's going to happen and life sucks. And that's kind of, we, we, Kelly and I, when, when, you, when it's like God had pummeled us so many times and then Kelly gets cancer for a fourth time. Four times. A month after I started. And I'm just like, give me a Right. <laughs> so they say sex, money, and in-laws. I've always heard this. Sex, money, and in-laws are the three main reasons people get divorced. Not in the Bible, but I've always heard it. And the reason I think it's true is because it was applicable to my life. In-laws being the big one. Um, won't go into that one. I don't have time. But we moved, and I decided to get another job, and God was calling us to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And you might, you might call my mom and telling her that. She's like, like, in Louisiana. And I was like, yeah. Okay. And that was the first time, away from Kentucky, ironically, where things started getting better. We had time to grow away from our family. And we, we adopted Roman and Ruby. See, Kelly had always known she wanted to adopt. She talked about adopting on our blind date. And I'm like, Hi, my name's Abby. <laughs> and I remember I always had that fear. I just, and I, I don't think I talked a lot about it until afterwards, but I had that quiet fear like, how am I going to love them when they're not mine? I was that guy. You know, you ever meet those Christians who are like, man, we just feel like being adopted. And I'm like, if you see my kids today, do not go and think that I'll be some hyper-spiritual person. Anything that I've been given has been given to me by God against the flesh of Avi. People go, man, you're such a good Christian. I'm like, <laughs> you don't know the half of it. And I remember holding Roman and Ruby on Father's Day, the first time I got to hold them, the day after they were born, and I didn't let them go. It was all washed away the first day. All those fears. I was like, how am I going to love two black kids I didn't even have? And then I held them and I was like, 
That was the first time in, in our marriage that I thought, man, things are going good. Two months later, our house gets flooded. The Great Flood of Louisiana, 2016. 70% of our church got flooded, of, of our members. And I'm like, my goodness, God, give me a break. So Kelly takes the kids, goes up to Kentucky for three months, and I have to, you know, we didn't have any insurance because it's never flooded where we were. Nobody had insurance. So for three months I was away. My kids, I didn't get to see my kids when five, only once when they're three months and six months. But God was training me. That was two years ago. And I'll tell you this. Losing your house is nothing compared to losing a loved one of cancer. Losing your house is nothing watching your wife cry because she can't get pregnant. Losing your house is nothing compared to snapping your neck and someone being ripping your dreams away. God had given me so much to just pummel me, put me through so much crap. The house was like... You know, I always watched the news and saw people on their houses, you know, and like CNN, and I always kind of thought to myself, didn't they have time to get away? Right. I understand now. Right. That, that water bubbles up, and we didn't have but 20 minutes to pack everything and go. It was that quick. It took, I mean, we lost most of what we had. And now, God calls us to Georgia. One year ago. It's one year this, this week. God helped us sell, sell our house. And there are people here who go, man, he's got a house and a trailer. He's not even a real pastor, he's a campus pastor. It's like a small church. Let me tell you something. I feel like I struck gold. Okay. Life is better now than it's ever been. And the only thing I have to struggle with is, you know, most Americans, I think, have to struggle with too much prosperity. I'm now having to struggle, and I'm being serious. God's given me so much now, I'm thinking there's a catch involved. Well, well. And I'll tell you this, we're not out of the woods. My wife is still infertile today. And there's a good, very good, I'm not just saying it's very good chance, in fact, Doctors have said it is very likely my wife will get cancer again. I still have to take a pill every single day. If I don't take it, I'll be flopping like a fish. But His grace is sufficient. I mean, I'm living on borrowed time. I, 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 and every, nothing I have, not even like my children. So people go, oh, poor, poor Abby, you can't have kids. Don't feel sorry for Abby. I could not have made two more beautiful babies than the ones I have. Well. This church is more than I deserve. And all those times where God just pummeled me, pummeled me, pummeled me, took away my house, took away my dreams, took away my mom. Let me sit there and watch and cry at the foot of my wife. And people think now that theology and degrees made me the pastor I am. The degrees were something extra I got. I learned theology on my knees. 
David said, it was good that I was afflicted. I can say the same thing. It's not just that I survived. It's that I can actually, by the Spirit of God, look back and go, thank you, God, for it all. By God's grace, I didn't get what I wanted. If I got what I wanted, you better believe, I wouldn't be pastoring at a triple-wide trailer church. <laughs> Sorry, Bob, it's modular. My bad. <laughs> You better believe I'd be a dentist. You better believe I would have fought in Iraq. You would have believed I would have played football. I would have done whatever it was other than what I'm doing. And now God's plan says, I'm going to put you here. I'm going to give you kids that your, your wife did not have biologically. I'm going to put you in a state you've never been. People you don't know. And I'm going to give you the heart to love what you do. And I thank God. <laughs> now y'all can see why. You know, we were living in that ratty house. We, and I'm, I'm like, hey, when we, when we first found it, and I think Franklin's the one that found that house, that rental house, first thing, what, what we notice? Right next to a pond. <laughs> but I can say this. If suffering loss helped show me my need for Jesus, then thank God I suffered loss. If losing my American dream, if losing Kelly's infertility, if having to cry and be and lose your house and all these things, if those things brought me to savor Jesus more, bring on the suffering. If it can show the world what's really valuable to Kelly and I, and that's Jesus. So that's me. That's your pastor. I felt like I wanted to sp speak on one manly Monday because I wanted you to know who I am. I don't think that I'm any better or that my testimony is any better than anyone else's. But I am thankful for my testimony. Not because it puts me on a plane that people haven't suffered, but because it, I can look back and I can see the sovereign grace of God that He had me even when I didn't even want Him. That's the gospel. And that's why we're here. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your steadying hand. When we can't walk, when we can't see, when it hurts, when we don't trust You, You've called us out of darkness and You have shown us a way that is better than anything we could ever concoct on our own. Father, it is good that You afflicted me because it is nothing compared to the affliction that Jesus suffered on my account that I might be counted free. And all these things we ask in Your Son's name, Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. For